everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we cast our all-seeing eye over the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who is we? Well, I'm your host Andrew and as usual I'm joined by my co-host Mick. What kind of a world do we live in when the guy who comes up with the concept for the podcast gets all my press? So that's the intro you've been working on. I mean, to be fair, I've had less than 24 hours on that one. That's fair. I mean, it's... It was a toss-up between that and... Andrew, you are my number one a guy. Oh, oh, no, I didn't... Oh, I wish I hadn't poked the bear now. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. So, <laughs> it's Batman. We're, we're doing Batman. But which Batman? The 1989 Batman. Which is directed by Tim Burton, written by Sam Hamm and Warren Scowen, and created by... Bob Kim, with a f- occasional input from Bo- Bill Finger. Other way around, technically. I know, but officially, and on all the... Bits and pieces that are published by DC, it's the Bob Kane with. Yes, officially, and they are technically correct in that Bob Kane was the one who said, Hey, what if there was a man who was like a bat? (laughs) And then Bill Finger was the one who was like, Oh, yeah, I get what you mean. Like, what what if he was some kind of vampire esque vigilante who had a belt full of gadgets and he was the world's greatest detective and he drove around in a special car and he had a bat signal and he had a sidekick and he fought a bunch of colorful villains? And so what? And he went, Yeah, probably. But Bob Kane, right? If Bob Kane hadn't said, What about a man who's dressed like a bat? Right? Bill Finger wouldn't have come up with all that other stuff. You're right, and we might have been stuck with his own original creation, the Living Thumb. <laughs> Which was probably just an affront to Bill Finger. <laughs> well, it's like, you know how the whole point of Batman is that he's embodying what criminals fear the most? Yeah. That's that's what Bill Finger fears the most. The Thumb. Yeah. Damn you and your army of opposable digits. Can can you tell this is our second recording of the evening, listeners? It's been a long day. It's been a long day. (laughs) We were going to do this as a triple header as well. We were, yeah. But you couldn't be arsed. I mean, look... This is the quality of show the listeners get when I have some notes. Can you imagine what a show would be where I have no notes? Let, let's break with tradition. Let's freestyle it. Yeah, let, let's just throw down some bars. I, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that if we did an episode that was prepared and an episode where we freestyled, our listeners wouldn't be able to tell the two apart. Actually, to be fair, we did do the Reef Vendetta episode like that. We did. We did. Which was a deliberate anarchic choice and not just that I forgot to make any notes. (laughs) 
Hell, we've we've done podcasts in the past where I've forgotten to read the comic or watch the adaptation. That's fair. I mean, look, I talk a big game about my notes. Under background for this one, I just have the word Batman. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the 1989 Batman. The Batman that, let's be honest, came out in the 50th anniversary year of, of the Batman comics and was set to change the comic book movie universe forever. Yeah, especially because probably delayed some groundwork. Up until this point, the definitive Batman was Adam West. Oh, that 40s one where Robin had an afro. Yeah, but I'm, wasn't black. I don't know if that one can be considered definitive. Yeah, Batman in a car with gadgets fighting villains. And very wonky ears. Yeah. They were very wonky ears, weren't they? <laughs> they were like bat finky ears, yeah. weren't they? <laughs> I mean, he looked more like a rabbit man. <laughs> he did. It's available on Amazon Prime, by the way, guys. If you've never seen it. But anyway, yeah. I think for most people, though, before this movie came out, if you said Batman, they're going to say Adam West. And it's that very cheesy, very 60s you know, Biff Wan Pow going to do the Batusi. And yeah, and in fairness, I, I mean, I read the comics and the comics were very much like that in the late 60s and early 70s. The comic code authority clamped down on the level of violence and stuff that was in comics. So actually, Batman and Robin were quite campy and there was, it was a sort of, it was almost like a sort of masquerade version of the sort of 30s Daring Do comics, wasn't it? It was all, you know, for an American, Batman was kind of the stiff, upper-lipped hero. Which is where you had all the... The Joker isn't like us, old chum. It's, it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I... I feel like the main difference is in the comics at the time, Batman was this very straight-laced, stiff upper-lipped character. And then in the TV series, he was that. But I think it was a bit more turning. Like, it always seemed knowingly and, he's a bit of a stick in the mud. And and the other problem with the TV adaptation was that even in the comics, with their stiff upper-lippedness, um, Batman was still you know, a unit. He was ripped. Are you and, saying and, Adam West is not uh, the peak uh, uh, of human physicality? What what I'm saying is that by the time he trans- transferred to TV in 1966, Batman had developed a paunch. What I'm saying is that maybe a little less time cruising around in the Batmobile and maybe a little more time emulating the animated title sequence might have done him a bit of good. That's what I'm saying. Especially if you're going to wire... I mean, this is pre-Lycra. That suit was not elasticated. Yes, I'm very aware that suit was not elasticated. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't holding all the bits in. (laughs) Although they managed to do that with Catwoman. Mind you, I think... Catwoman's figure was probably 
better suited to the costumes than Batman. Yeah, I, I think her bits were already a bit more in place. Yes. Also, Cho- Cho- clear, choosing some of the sexiest actresses on the planet to play the part of Catwoman probably helped. Also, just to be entirely clear, I absolutely love the Adam West Batman. It's a tremendous oh, amount of fun. Absolutely. If if there's a chance to spend a couple of hours watching three or four episodes of that, colour me there. You know, it's it's part of my childhood. It's watching those episodes of Batman, cheesy though they are, that's the warm, fuzzy feeling I get. It's it's the bowl of tomato soup on a cold winter's evening for my eyes. Which I would never apply a bowl of tomato soup to because it would burn. But you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, that's that, that's a weird place the metaphor ended up. <laughs> Absolutely. Like I say, it's been a long day. But anyway, <laughs> what the Adam West Batman was not was the kind of more serious Batman media that fans of the comics were kind of crying out for. Were we? I mean, I, th- I think kind of around about because the 70s was when Batman kind of had a bit of a resurgence into, again, kind of shifting more towards like the grittier, he's a right. detective solving crimes right? rather than just running Andrew, around in the... Andrew, this is the point where I'm going to pause the recording. I'm going to suggest you go off to Amazon Prime by season one of the new Batman Adventures from 1976. Which was, to Batman, what the Star Trek animated series was to the original run of Star Trek. Right? And then tell me we were crying out for a darker, grittier Batman. We Look, were. some people were, at least. I mean, you weren't. You weren't even born. Yeah, that's true. This is even worse than Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't even a toddler not reading the comics. But, but, you, honestly, but you know, it is it is still that same thing of, I think there were a number of comic fans who kind of wanted it to be taken a bit more seriously. I I I, I think they were. I, but you've also got to remember it's about the time that the Comic Code Authority was losing its grip on everything. Although blood still had to be white, apparently. Um... But we were still a little ways away from what we considered dark superheroes. You know, even when even when Batman 89 came out, we were still a ways away from Watchmen. Uh, actually, no, we weren't. That Watchmen was 1986. So this is kind of just oh. a bit post-Watchmen. Oh, yeah. I think things are starting to shift more in that direction. Oh, good point. Why am I thinking 95 for Watchmen? I've carried the one, haven't I? Probably. Yeah. 95 might be when I got into Watchmen. Because uh... that's how I spent my 90s in comics, revisiting the 80s. But anyway, what I'm anyway. leading up to is... That's all a moot point anyway, because this is absolutely not a dark, serious Batman film. And, and this is this is the thing I was thinking about. 
when I watched it, it's like this is like 23 years on from the 1966 Batman theatrical release, right? That famous is there nowhere you can get rid of a bomb these days? Right? It's yeah, and, and the bat shark repellent. That's right. We're 23 years on from that and we're what, 11 years away from the Christian Bale Dark Knight? Or Batman Begins? Yeah. And yet this film is a lot more one of those than it is the other. Yes. And it's not the one you'd think. Yeah. Um, It's... Well, I'll tell you what, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. You haven't synopsized it yet. Indeed, yeah. I should probably synopsize this before we get into the, the proper details of the film. Spoiler alert. He's Batman. Oh, no, you have actually ruined a bit of the synopsis. <laughs> so, as Gotham City approaches its bicentennial, journalist Alexander Knox, played by Robert Wool, and photographer Vicky Vale, Kim Basinger, are trying to prove the existence of the Batman, a mysterious vigilante who has been striking terror into the hearts of criminals. At a fundraiser, Vicky hits it off with billionaire Bruce Wayne, played by Michael Keaton, until he excuses himself to secretly follow Commissioner Gordon, played by Pat Hingle, to stop a raid on Axis Chemicals, because of what I'm sure would be a huge shock if Mick hadn't ruined it already. Bruce and Batman are one and the same. Dun, dun, dun! Also in this episode, we'll reveal Batman's origin story. Also, to be fair, I, I don't think the film like really plays it as a mystery. Like, It knows that you know that Bruce Wayne is Batman. It, it, it kind of plays it in a mystery, but in a very knowing way. There's a very big Tim Burton-style wink to the camera. Yeah, I'd say. It's probably more of like a build-up than a mystery. Yeah. Anyway, the, the raid is being led by Jack Napier, Jack Nicholson, I mean, I basically just may as well call him Jack Nicholson because he's just Jack Nicholson being Jack Nicholson. Actually, to be fair, and again, I only watched this last night. Um, is he or is he Cesar Romero? I, wish, I mean, you never see Cesar Romero without his moustache. I'm, I'm sure he didn't just like shave off and change his name. <laughs> no, but is Jack Nicholson playing Jack Nicholson or is he playing Cesar Romero? Because it's not that far a removed performance, to be fair. No, I think it's... I, th I think basically what happens is Jack Nicholson watched an episode of the Batman TV show, saw Cesar Romero chewing the scenery, thought, oh, like I, I think can do that. that's hammy acting. <laughs> Wait till he gets a load of me. Wait till he sees me dancing to Prince. <laughs> so anyway, Jack is a mob enforcer who's been set up after being caught carrying on with his boss's mall. <sighs> so Batman fights Jack, and in the ensuing struggle, Jack seemingly falls to his death into a vat of chemicals. But he in fact survives and finds that his skin has been bleached white, his hair dyed green, and his mouth is stuck in a rictus grin. It has done maybe wonders it... for his disposition, though. Hey, maybe he's a joker. Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> oh dear. But yes, 
Now calling himself Joker, he kills his former boss Grissom, played by Jack Palance, and takes <laughs> and takes over the Gotham Underworld. I mean, let's face it, that's what Jack Palance does for his entire screen time. Inhales Vicks for yeah. no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah, that that man definitely needs an aspirin him. <laughs> Every time he goes to say a, a, a line of dialogue, there's a. It's like, did you think he was like quite paranoid about looking good on camera? So he'd just like go yeah, for a dog before every screen. <laughs> yes, yeah, his chest. I mean, you know, we're supposed to expect that um, Jack Palance, who by this time I believe had been dead for 15 years. Um, a man who'd been dead for 15 years could, even using his power and influence, manage to pull Jerry Hall. Yeah, it's... It's a mismatched couple, should we say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess it's like classic old, old rich guy with his much younger girlfriend... Yes. I mean, you know, to be fair, in real life, they then lived out that saga as Jerry Hall and Rupert Murdoch. So... Yeah, that was maybe an appropriate bit of casting. (laughs) I mean, do you think in real life as well, Jerry Hall had a a young, sexy bit on the side, like Jack Nicholson? Well, this is the thing, isn't it? I mean... I can't. Jack Nicholson must have been in his fifties when he did Batman. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was around about so, fifty. You know, for him to be the toy boy element. Yeah, I'm, I'm sick of this footy duty seventy year old. Gonna get me a younger bit of. <laughs> and she she was probably only forty at the time. I mean, if that. If that. I mean, she, oh, oh. the thing is, she was, she was kind of almost nearly sort of married to Mick Jagger at this point. So it's it's life imitating art, imitating life. <laughs> Maybe she just has a thing for guys with weird faces. I know, but that doesn't mean she has to take on these kind of roles. <laughs> Look, continue. Saying, if you can find a way to get paid for your kink. I think go for it. <laughs> anyway, Joker takes over the Gotham underworld and then begins terrorising the city with his deadly Smilex gas, which causes victims to die laughing. Uh, Joker also becomes infatuated with Vicky and, att- and makes several attempts to kidnap her, but is thwarted by Batman. Now, to of- be fair, to be fair, this is the most believable bit of the plot, Joker becoming infatuated with Vicky, because I think between 1989 and 1992, Kim Bassinger was officially the most gorgeous creature on the planet. Yes, yep. F- famous war photographer Kim Bassinger. <laughs> so, hey, in one encounter, Batman realises that the Joker is the same man who killed his parents prompting him to become Batman in the first place. So, Bruce also reveals his secret identity to Vicky, with some help from his butler Alfred, played by Michael Goff, but says that he can't focus on a relationship while the Joker is still out there. 
Basically, this is Michael Keaton's Batman saying, it's not you, it's me. Sorry, it's not you, it's me. Yes, it's not you, it's me, but the other me who only comes out at night time. <laughs> Dressed in a funny costume. Look, again, if you can get paid for your kink. Be a kink. <laughs> I joke, apparently Michael Keaton absolutely hated the Batman costume. Well, there's no surprise there, is it? It was it was more like a brace than a costume. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think of it as a latex coffin. Yeah. So, Batman traces the Smilex back to Axis Chemicals and destroys the factory using the Batmobile. But Joker has already begun his final, pa- final plan to gas all of Gotham using parade balloons. I've just realised. That's a massive continuity error. In the DC Universe. Because if Michael Keaton's Batman in 1989 blows up the Axis Chemical Works, what the hell does Harley Quinn blow up in Harley in Birds of Prey or, or the fabulous emanci- or the emancipation of one fabulous Harley Quinn or whatever it was that it ended up being called? What does she blow up? Because surely by this point it's just rubble. She also blows it up. Although I think in that film it might have been because I know in the comics it's called Ace Chemicals. Ace Chemicals, yeah. And it might have been in the film, but also that one probably takes place on Earth like twenty three and forty seven. <laughs> and, and this one takes place on Earth Bleventy. <laughs> Bleventy. Yes, the best number, Bleventy. You've carried the one again, haven't you? Did I mention I was not in the top set for maths? <laughs> yes. And I think we mentioned that this is our second recording of the day, so... So, Batman is able to stop the balloons just in time using his Batwing jets, but gets shot down by the Joker. Uh, Joker takes Vicky at gunpoint to the top of a, to, to the top of a cathedral... And Batman follows for a final confrontation. After revealing his real identity to the Joker, Batman punches him over the edge of the roof, but Joker is able to pull him and Vicky over too, leaving all three hanging off the edge. Uh, Joker tries to escape by helicopter, but Batman uses his grappling hook to tie a gargoyle to Joker's leg, causing him to fall to his death. Batman saves Vicky and becomes a hero to Gotham. Later, Commissioner Gordon unveils a bat signal that can be used to call Batman whenever the city is in danger. Yes, and then the best theme tune plays. And that's what got me. Right? It's not the iconic bat logo on Michael Keaton's chest. It's not the bat signal. It's not the Corvette-based Batmobile. What what is iconic about this movie is Danny Elfman's theme. If you hear that, you know this is Batman. Yes, I know. Well, almost doubly for me, because they use that same theme for the Batman animated series. So this is very much, oh, that's what my childhood sounds like. Yes. And it's there in um, 
the Lego Batman series on, on Xbox and PlayStation, that's the theme they use. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not surprised because that just, that is the Batman theme. It is. More so than, and I quote, Nana, 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 Batman. And that's been recorded by The Who and The Jam, as well as Neil Hefty. Well, there you go. Again, just goes to show how effective the Danny Elfman score is. I mean, to be fair, The Who and The Jam have never recorded the Danny Elfman version. Tell you who else has never recorded the Danny Elfman version? Prince. Because his soundtrack for this movie, Warner Brothers weren't keen. Yeah, I mean, it's... Why did they get Prince to do the soundtrack for this film? I don't know, but I believe it features such classic titles as Party Man, which is the one track that makes it into the finished um, cut. And I think there's some sort of background music that uses the the Prince soundtrack album. Yeah, I think from what I'm a bit, there's obviously the Party Man, that's the one that Joker dances to while he's smashing up the art gallery. That That's right. And then I think and there's then... another one that plays when he's like on the parade float as well. Yeah, and I think there was one that was released as a single but not part of the movie called Bat Dance. Yeah, that's move. Because that's the one thing you associate with Batman, isn't it? Hot moves. Yeah. well, well I mean, the, the Batusi aside. Like, no offence to the artist formerly known as the artist formerly known as Prince, but when I think dark, brooding, gothic... He's not what springs to mind. No. Um, so, yeah, but you're absolutely... I think Danny Elfman, if any film composer ever nailed a theme for a film, or even a franchise, Danny Elfman did it in that moment. Yeah, it's literally, yes, that is what the Batman sounds like. Now, the runtime, I notice, for Batman 89 is, is it a little over two hours? Yeah, I think if I recall, 126 minutes. Is it 126 minutes? 24 of those are the camera circumnavigating a stone carving of a bat. Oh, boy, those those <laughs> open credits. Like I, I thought the Superman ones dragged on, but boy. Because <laughs> it, it's like one of those slow, it, it's like one of those quiz shows that zooms in on a detail on a photo and then slowly zooms out and the first person to buzz in and tell you what the photo's of wins. It's that, but it's a bat logo in, in, in stone. But the thing is, you already know it's a bat logo because you're watching Batman. That's what you've paid your money to go see. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not confused as to what film I'm watching. <laughs> because absolutely no one went to see this film by accident. This film had, had so much hype, it was unbelievable. It was the 50th anniversary of the character. It was a massive comic book movie 
probably... I think I'm right in saying this was the biggest comic book movie since 1978's Superman. Really. Obviously, you'd had the sequels to Superman, but they'd broken that mould with Superman. This was... This was the big A-list property that wasn't Superman on the big screen. And as you say, everybody's memory of this property was Adam West running around in a pair of tights. And in occasional episodes, and for younger viewers, um, you'll have to go back to the Batman 66 series to confirm this, but in order to preserve Batman's secret identity, Batman's 80-year-old butler occasionally used to turn up on a push bike dressed as the Batman so that Batman and Bruce Wayne could appear in the same location at the same time. And it was a flawless disguise. (laughs) I used to watch that. I used to hero worship that guy. (sighs) I mean, I still do a bit. Yeah. What was that whole Aunt Harriet thing about? Oh, yeah, I think that's just the obligatory someone needs to be incompetently trying to work out Batman's (laughs) secret identity. (laughs) Just like Alexander Knox. Yes. Who's the only man in in Gotham who can afford a really fast supercar with armour plating? Who's invited me to his house for a party? Well, he's invited somebody I know to a party. And I've just tagged along. But yes, it's the, the the thing that the thing that thing that throws this into sharp relief against the dark, gritty superhero thing of the the eighties and nineties is there's a really dodgy animation after you've circumnavigated the bat sig- the, the bat sign in stone. There's a there's there's a, a scene that parallels the original death of the, the Waynes, isn't there? There's a mugging that takes place. Yeah, yeah. Probably, I think you're supposed to think initially it might be the Waynes. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it sort of foreshadows that whole flashback to the night that his parents get killed. Um, and Graham formerly of uh, occasionally of this parish wasn't aware until I, I mentioned it today that the actual place where the Waynes get murdered is called Crime Alley. Yeah, which I mean really let's face throws Thomas Wayne's decision making into question, doesn't it? <laughs> this this guy is a doctor for crying out loud. He's a clever man. Who takes their young family through Crime Alley for crying out loud? Anyway. Oh, I'm sure it's just a fun nickname. (laughs) Oh, no! It wasn't. We've been a victim of crime in Crime Alley. (laughs) If only we'd gone to Dream Plaza. But... (laughs) Um... So, yeah, so there's the mugging that takes place, and then it cuts to a rooftop and a shonky animation of Batman going through a door. 
Oh, that was yeah. But like the animation is superimposed over the image. That's, oh, it's, oh. It, it, the the quality of the animation reminds me of the animation in Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. You know where they filmed the actors and then animated over the top of them. Yeah, it's very much that same thing. I think yeah. the bits that get me are that and any time that like the gas is released. Yeah, because it's very clearly an after effect. Yeah. Um, Joker brand. Um, so yeah, it's. <sighs> And the, the more I watch it, from, from that shonky animation at the beginning to all the scenes that you see, the more I watch of it, the only real thing, that the Dutch angles that it's shot at are the same as the 66 Batman thing. The only thing, really, that sets it apart to, to me from the, TVs, the, the Adam West TV show is it's a lot less jokey-jokey. It's, uh, I mean, on an intentional level. Um, and a lot more of it is shot at night than in broad daylight. Because Adam West did a lot of his Batmanning in broad daylight. Probably because the unions charged more for night filming. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is a bit darker in the sense that kind of people actually die but it's still that kind of goofy cartoon yeah and and actually to be fair you know i don't think people I mean, apart from a couple of the the crime bosses and stuff like that that die the the main difference in the violence in this is that the actual point of contact isn't covered up by an onomatopoeic sign. Yeah. Even though in a lot of scenes it feels like it very much could be. Yes. I don't think if you suddenly if you if you got an editing package and suddenly took Batman nineteen eighty nine and put the odd thwock and kapow in there, it'd look that much out of place. And I think it's I, I think what's happened here is that what Tim Burton's tried to do and probably to a degree did more successfully in the sequel to this Batman Returns um, is he's tried to pay homage to that 60s series whilst dragging it into this darker, grittier superhero world of the 80s and 90s. And I think he's only partially pulled it off but at the time, certainly speaking from someone who at the time went, there's a Batman movie coming out. Um, I mean, when this when this came out on home video, right, I bought it from my local video shop. They had X rental copies on sale for 12 quid. I'd never bought a video before. I'd only ever rented. This was the film I had to own on video. That's how much I loved it. But back then, 
there was a superhero or comic book movie came out about once every 20 years. Now, there's about 20 come out every month. Yeah. Plus, I think at the time, it probably did seem like even if it's not that different from the Adam West, those small differences did seem quite revolutionary. Whereas now, yeah. kind of with the hindsight of things like the, the Christopher Nolan films, looking back at it, it does seem a lot cheesier and a lot more cartoony. And the, and the other thing that set it apart from the, the the other thing that made it at the time different from what had gone gone on before twenty three years previously was Batman sixty six is so obviously filmed on a studio lot in daylight <laughs> with a man dressed in tights, right? The matte paintings on. To, to realise this sort of Art Deco Gotham, the matte paintings that are used in the backdrops are absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. They are stunning. Oh, yeah, that's... I mean, really, I think that's a big part of how this film kind of gets through some of those criticisms is just everything looks so fantastic. Yeah. The, the, the Batmobile... Um, the 60s Batmobile, when you look at it with the benefit of hindsight, looks like an, a big American car that's had some extra fins stuck on it. This does not look like a Corvette that's been souped up. This looks like a Batmobile. Yeah, I mean, it's literally it's like a jet turbine with fins and wheels. Yeah. And it's cool. It is but still manages to somehow look 1930s, which fits in with the suits that everybody's wearing. Yeah, because that's the whole thing that like carried over the animated series as well, that whole, is it the 1980s? Is it the 30s? Is it somewhere in between? Yeah. Like, you're never quite sure, but it and, just and, looks so cool. And that kind of carries over into, and I, I don't know whether you've watched any of it yet, but Pennyworth, sorry, I'm sorry, DC. Please don't sue me. Pennyworth, the origins of Batman's butler. <laughs> That's right. That's what they named it. I know. Because, <laughs> like, it's called Pennyworth, right? The only people who are watching that series are fans of Batman. And if, you, if you're aiming a series at fans of Batman, the last thing they need explaining is who the hell Pennyworth is. Yeah, I was. I love the idea that there's like more casual Batman fans out there. We're just going. Oh, now, now I thought that Pennyworth show was just a random spy show, but now that I know it's the origin of Batman's butler, oh boy, am I down for it? But, but, because in the first two seasons, when it said based on characters created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, it never occurred to me he had any links to Batman. <laughs> It's, again, it's also just the idea of a whole... Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely very invested in knowing the secret origin of the man who serves Bruce Wayne's tea to him. <laughs> oh, dear. But yes. <laughs> but uh, the Pennyworth show carries on that mixture of ancient and modern, so it it all looks like it's just post-war, but then the 
government agencies are using trim phones and Commodore pets, so there's a mix of 70s and 80s tech and and stuff. So, so I quite like that with the Pennyworth series. That and the fact that it feels like one of those classic 60s ITC series like The Prisoner or Man in the Suitcase or um, The Persuaders or The Avengers or something like that. Yeah, not those Avengers. Not not those Avengers. The Avengers, not Marvel's Avengers, and not Avengers Who Assemble, which is why Avengers was called Avengers Assemble in the UK to um, avoid any confusion with the bloke in a bowler hat. Yeah. Because the, that was so likely in a film featuring a flying robot man and a big green monster. Yeah, I, I, I sat through the first half hour of that thinking, but where's the man in the 30s Edwardian roadster and the bowler hat with the walking stick and the umbrella and the pretty girl? Where are they? Anyway, so, since we're talking about kind of accoutrements. Yeah. I think one of my favourite things about this film is just the fact that, like, Batman has gadgets and the film takes great pains to let you know how cool the gadgets are. They are very cool gadgets. This is this is not a Batman that shies away from the fact that he is dependent on gadgets. Yeah. And, it's and, not... and, and, and attention to detail as well. Like the bit where he escapes with uh, Vicky Vale and he says to her before they escape, how much do you weigh? Yeah, and because then... he needs to like, calculate how strong the rappling hook is. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, and then at the end he goes, you weigh a little more than 108. <laughs> and it's just brilliant. Because yeah. Batman can get away with that. Bruce Wayne can't. <laughs> I'm just saying Batman, a gentleman should note a round up. Yeah, <laughs> and Bruce Wayne has been to the finest prep schools and stuff, so he should know that. But it's, but this that that's the beauty of it. And isn't there a line later on in the franchise where someone says, "Chicks"? Is it Val Kilmer's Batman that says, "Chicks dig the car"? It's, I or is it think... George Clooney's Bat? Uh, on on his way to destroying the franchise, is it George Clooney's Batman? I think, from what I remember, it's, it's Chris O'Donnell's Robin, isn't it? Is it is it Chris O'Donnell's Robin? It, wow! I mean, it sounds like one of his lines. I'm I'm sure. No, I'm sure it's a Batman that says it. I mean, it's definitely one of those two films, isn't it? I mean, it's one of those two films that killed this franchise dead. Yeah. I mean, one sort of... One was sort of the sight of shot and the other was the death blow, wasn't it? Yeah, I I think the first one is setting that shot up and then the second one with his back credit card is pulling the trigger. Yeah. Batman. Because how does he even register for a credit card as Batman? Well, this is it. Because, like, it's going to be, like, you know, he's going to want to avoid being detected as Batman. So the last thing he's going to do is give his actual date of birth, his actual address, 
Uh, yeah. Address the Bat Cave. Street name. Uh, well, it's a street cave. Name. Yeah, street name just under Wayne Manor, but that's entirely a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, please don't read anything into that. Postcode exactly the same as Wayne Manor, but don't read anything into that. <laughs> Wait, mother, mother's maiden name. <laughs> I mean, surely as well, he's got a credit card. He'll have needed to set up a bank account as Batman. And I think in the 90s, probably will have needed to gone into the bank branch to do that. <laughs> have you got any forms of photo ID? For Christ's sakes, who else comes into this bank dressed like this? I mean, it is Gotham, so you'd be surprised. Right. I'm not dressed like some kind of top-hatted bird. I'm not dressed like some kind of clown. I don't have the face of a scarecrow, so who am I? Ah, yes, my, my apologies, Mr. Uh, Mr. Manbat, was it? <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> yes. So, yeah, the back credit card. Oh, I've forgotten about the back credit card. I mean, at least Ben Affleck had the decency to just say that his superpower was being rich. Yeah. But it's also, again, speaking of Ben Affleck, I'd like that Batman doesn't just use a bunch of guns. True. Although, to be fair, in back in 2016, did you see the film The Accountant? Did anyone see the film The Accountant? I saw the film The Accountant and I can I can quite categorically state that it was the best Batman film Ben Affleck appeared in that year. Yeah. That's I mean it was it's gonna sound like a silly question, but that's the one where he's an accountant for like the mob, isn't it? Yeah. Well, at least he got one good superhero film. Um, but it, 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 it's just he plays this character who uh, it's a yes. There's more guns than you would expect in a Batman movie, but the way he the way he acts and the the way he goes about his business feels more Batman than the Batman he is forced to portray in Batman v Superman. Does he have some wonderful toys? He does have some wonderful toys. Yeah, so... <clears throat> that brings us on to Joker, doesn't it? Jack Nicholson. You're right, he does play Jack Nicholson. A lot. But in a Jack Nicholson who's seen Cesar Romero. It doesn't yeah. feel that different from Cesar Romero's portrayal of the Joker. Oh, there's a lot there's yeah. a lot of odd noises emanate from the Jack Nicholson face hole. Just like Cesar Romero used to chuckle inanely and make odd sort of whooping noises. Yeah, but I think also, I mean, that's what I want from the Joker. I want him to be this big weird clown guy. And and I think you do in that kind of Batman. 
yeah, yeah, that's that's right. yeah, but, but, like he's but I think, a good Joker think, who fits in that kind of world. Yeah, but I think if in the Dark Knight Heath Ledger had tried to be that kind of Joker, it would have fallen flat. It wouldn't have worked. Yeah, definitely in the the quote unquote more realistic Batman, mm. it it doesn't really fit in. No, and that and 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 that's why I think the nineteen eighty nine Batman feels closer to its older cousin than it does to its more modern offspring. That said, I think that Tim Burton deserves a hell of a lot of kudos for putting superhero movies back on the map because the hype around this movie was immense. Yeah. Like, I think the important thing is he made a superhero film, which is undeniably very cool. At a time when superhero films weren't deemed to be cool. Yeah, exactly. When is it when the Superman sequels had burned through all the goodwill people had? Yes. Yes, people had watched Quest for Peace and they'd found it wanting in terms of plot, relevance, point. <laughs> Acting. Um, hey. Dolph Lundgren tried, all right? That's, yeah, um, Dolph Lundgren tried his best. He tried his best to breathe life into Nuclear Man. And Christopher Reeve gave it a solid 60%? On the bits that he managed to finally get a connection to phone in, yes. And other actors were there? Some some stuff happened. See, Superman 4 is one of those films that I hope never turns up on our Behold agenda. Luckily, though, we've got to get through Superman 1, 2, and 3 first. I mean, you say that like we're not talking about a list which already has Batman Returns on it. That's true, but we stopped there. We've gone backwards to Batman 89 in this very episode. Yes, we're finally, we're plugging the leak. Yeah, but we've, we've not gone beyond. We've done Burton. We've not Schumacher'd. (laughs) Shall we skip it and go straight to Nolan? I mean, we could. I feel like we're justified in going straight to Nolan because that's like a different franchise. Well, so is Schumacher, to be fair. Look, technically, those films are sequels to these films. Technically, yes. And if that technical point means that we can avoid doing them for a while, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I mean, if we divorce them from the Batman franchise entirely, we can avoid. I mean, you'd struggle to make the case that they're based on DC Comics. You'd struggle to make the case that they were films. 
I mean, we probably will have to do them at some point, though. Can you make me a promise? I mean, yes, but I'll probably break it. Can you promise me that you will hold off on doing the Joel Schumacher Batman films until either I am A, safely tucked up in my grave, or B, don't have the physical faculties to do podcasts anymore? Oh, boy, that's that's it. I will make you a promise. And bear in mind, I'm a much closer to that point than you are. Yes, I, I promise to you that the Batman Forever, Batman and Robin Double Bill is going to be the Mick Funeral special. Excellent. As long as I don't have to participate, that's fine by me. Or indeed, watch them in order to participate. That's fine by me. If you could do it a year after my death as a, a sort of memorial. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, we're doing it at the surface. <laughs> Live. Yeah. Oh, wouldn't it be funny if, like, I did a sort of Justice League rocks shimmering on my coffin type thing? And finally, that's the big reveal that I'm Superman. What in the, the Joel Schumacher suit? Batman films the secret to bringing you back. Yes, and that's why I come back full of fuck and wanting to kick everybody. Yes, that's that's your supervillain origin. <laughs> there you go. That's why I become Henry Cavill with a CGI mouth. I mean, you do have a moustache that we can CGI out. <laughs> At the moment, I don't always have it. It's capricious, my my facial hair. Anyway, I think at least one of us needs to be in bed by this point. Should we make this film? Yeah. Well, so actually, the the thing is, for all its flaws, and and they are they are hindsight flaws. I, you weren't around, but trust me, when this film came out, it was the mutt's nuts. The bee's knees, the bat's nads. Everybody wanted to see this film. Well, yeah, and to be fair... It, it I... almost invent. In fact, if I'm right, the video release invented a new BBFC class classification. I don't think 12A existed before Batman came out. See, yeah. I think in the cinema it was a 15, wasn't it? Yes. And then I remember because it came out as a 12A, that's when I could watch it because I was too young to see it for like a long time. Well, for like yeah. 15 years. 12 years. <laughs> but yeah, so at, at the point it came out, there was a 12 in, in video releases. And then Batman, it wasn't. When it came out on home video, it wasn't in. It wasn't bad enough to become a fifteen, but it was too bad to become a twelve. So they in, introduced this twelve A, where you could watch it if you were twelve and accompanied by an adult. Or that might have been Batman Returns. One of the two, anyway. But yeah, kind of, to get back to your point, I think that I've had a fair few negative things to say about the film. 
But again, this is the thing with film criticism is that, yes, sitting here mulling it over, I can point out the flaws. But when I was watching this, I'll be honest, my main thought was, oh, hell yeah, this is cool. Yeah. And and the thing is, this, after, after a bit of a, a time in the doldrums, this is the comic book movie that sort of reinvigorated it. I think I, I, don't, I, I, I would argue that if this hadn't happened, you wouldn't have got any studio willing to risk Blade or Hulk or Iron Man or any of the things that have now led to this superhero explosion, comic book explosion, call it what you will, that we've got today. I think possibly as much as Superman 78, Batman 89 holds its place in the Hall of Fame, even if it is flawed genius. Oh, absolutely. And Danny Elfman never had to write another theme tune again. Yeah, I'm surprised he's even worked after this. Well, he had to do The Simpsons, didn't he? Yeah, but I mean, surely the royalties from Batman are enough to keep him. Maybe he didn't even charge The Simpsons. Yeah, maybe he just did that one for fun. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I'm thinking maybe lower half of the top ten. Ooh. Remind me what's in our top ten. Uh, so, running through the full top ten then. Number one, we've got A History of Violence. Number two, we've got Road to Perdition. Number three, we've got Superman. Number four, we've got Hellboy. Number five, we've got The Suicide Squad. Number six, we've got Black Widow. Number seven, we've got Sin City. Number eight, we've got Deadpool. Number nine, we've got Men in Black. Number ten, we've got Danger Diabolic. I'm tempted to put it definitely above Men in Black just because of its place in, in comic book superheroes' cinematic history. Because it did set the bar for for a number of years. Yes, um, and it opened up that whole merchandise area for for comic book movies as well. That there wasn't really that much came out for things like Superman, but with this one, there were toys, there were books, there were there, there was a novelization of Batman the movie. And I believe it did Batman the movie have like a video game tie-in? It did from Ocean Software. Batman also had a comic book adaptation. How meta is that? A comic book adaptation of a film that's an adaptation of a comic book icon. Oh my god, it's just like Street Fighter the movie, the video game. <laughs> And I'm I lost many an hour to the movie game, the the Batman the movie video game, on the spectrum. Can you imagine how colourful that was on an eight bit computer system? Wow, must have blown your mind. Yes, yes it did, but it didn't matter because I was Batman. 
And at the end of the day, that's all any boy dreams of. And by boy, I mean 21-year-old who, by this time, had his own child and a steady job. Anyway, stick it in a roundabout, Sin City. Yes. Shall we say Batman 89 is our new number seven? Yeah, let's go for that. There we go. And yeah, I'll put the 89 on there just so we know which Batman it is. <laughs> right, I think that's Jobs are Gooden. So that's about it from us. If you want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. Also, if you're a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and reach new listeners. So that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew. And I've been Mick. And I'm now going to make sure that my missus has stopped watching Strictly Come Dancing with the Devil by the Pale Moonlight. So long, and thanks for listening.